Good morning. Super glad to have you with us this morning in week four of six in a series we're calling Defy. We're going to be in Matthew, the 16th chapter. Uh, I want you to go ahead and turn there. We'll be hanging out in Matthew 16. We're going to do verses 21 through 26. I know the literature you have in front of you, the hard copy of the bulletin there says verse 28. We're only going to make it through verse 26, so you'll want to have that handy. Um, if you need a Bible, if you need a study guide that uh, comes along with the series, uh, whether that's for you as a part of a life group or for your own study, those are available there from these guest services peeps. If you need a Bible, take it. It's yours. Put your name in it. Pastor said you could steal. Hey, I want to make sure that you know about a few things um, to run through just to make sure you're aware of that aren't on the bulletin. Um, I've mentioned this last couple weeks. I want to make sure you're aware um, that we need help with kids men downstairs. Uh, surprise, surprise, the pastor is talking about needing help in kids men. Uh, we need adults downstairs in kids men um, because uh, we have probably something on the order of a little more than 100 kids this morning, zero through fifth grades, and so we need more adults to help with that. Um, so if you're interested in that, talk to Megan Schlesing, uh, see somebody in the hub afterwards with a name tag if you'd like to know more. Uh, just having a conversation about being interested to help does not obligate you for 12 hours a week forever. Um, you, if you want to help once a month in a particular kind of way, we can uh, work with that. So we just need more adult help um, to help take care of our kids well, um, because kids matter. So uh, speaking of kids, men, I mentioned this last week. Uh, I want to make sure that you know that we're honing in on a full-time family ministry director uh, to whom we believe the Lord is leading us. We're going to let you know more about that soon, um, but that's really all I can tell you for now. Sorry. We have some uh, family ministry director vision to tell you about in the next week or two um, that we'll tell you about that sort of explains why we've been pretty picky about the process so far, but we believe we're closing in on it. Those of you who are kidsmen volunteers who are like, please, where's Kim? It's funny to a few of us. Uh, Next Steps is something that we've been talking about week in and week out for um, probably about three months now. Um, It's become a really big deal for us. Next Steps is a four-session comprehensive picture of our vision as a church and how we believe that God is leading us into some pretty cool uh, visions for the future, Um, a little bit scary vision as well. You'll hear about why and how we are real intentional about getting people serving on Sunday mornings, which I know is weird for church, but you'll come to Next Steps and you'll find out why. You'll also hear why and how small groups are such a vitally important part of your connection here at First Christian Church. You'll also hear why and how prayer and Bible study are, are pretty intentionally integrated into pretty much all of our environments and how we do that. You'll hear why and how we are creating a culture of telling the story of God's work in our lives. You'll see a cool example of that later on um, in the service. You'll also hear a little bit about why and how we are doing a a multi-site church vision for Green County and where we believe God is leading us in that direction and how we get there. So Next Steps is four sessions. Uh, It's 9 a.m. in the student center downstairs. It's a real cool way to see how all of the pieces of the vision God has for us uh, fit together. Um, So I want to have you come to that. Uh, We've been having 30 folks for the first two uh, meetings downstairs. Um, I don't know about today, but 
We're going to be doing that. You can sign up in uh, the hub back there. Um, find somebody with a name tag. You can go to fccgreenville.info. It's right there to sign up. Next Steps is going to be an important uh, learning experience for us moving forward as a congregation. So I want to invite you to that. Uh, We do it every Sunday, 9 a.m. downstairs. Let's go ahead and read together Matthew, the 16th chapter, 21 through 26. And we're going to read that and then pray, get our hearts and our heads in the game to hear from the Lord through the scriptures. So let's read together. Mark 16, verses 21 through 26. They say this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Let's pray, friends. Lord God, we ask that you would open our hearts to hear from you today. That we would follow your lead and that we would say yes your direction for our lives. Forgive us for continuing to live as if we of ourselves know satisfaction and peace and joy without you. Forgive us for living as if we know our life's mission and calling without submitting to your direction. Lord, correct us through your scriptures today and through the Spirit speaking to us as we give ourselves to the authority of your word in our lives. Lord, teach us, shape us, and stretch us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And by the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I don't know uh, if you're aware of this. You may not know this, but you need to recognize this. I am super important. (laughs) I thought we might hear something from my wife first up here. You think I'm kidding? Think I'm kidding. I have great power and control in my life every single day to make literally thousands of decisions. So whether you know it or not, Whether you acknowledge it or not, it's time you recognize. I am super important. Let me tell you what I mean. I'm four for four today. Number one, this morning when I woke up, I turned on the shower, and I decided exactly what I wanted the temperature to be. Nobody else decided for me. I had a full range of options from ice cold and scalding hot. And because I like to be a reasonable person who likes the temperature just right, as opposed to my wife who likes it scalding hot enough to like permanently disfigure skin... 
While she slept, I made the temperature exactly as I wanted it to be. Thank you very much. Which sounds weird, but for 10 minutes, I was in complete control. And truth of the matter, in that little confined space, really little because it was built in the 70s, in that little confined space called the shower, I was totally in charge. And then I decided for myself that I wanted the white chocolate macadamia nut cliff bar and not the chocolate chip because the chocolate chip flavor isn't all that good. And there's nobody there to tell me any different. Boom, two for two. <laughs> On the way here to church, I drove in my van where again, I'm quite important in that little confined space I control. I drive it, I turn the wheel, I decide how I get where I'm going. I decide if I want the windows down or if I want to use AC. And today I wanted the windows down. I was in charge, three for three. In fact, right now I'm four for four in this space where I'm preaching and everybody's listening and I've got the mic. <laughs> Don't you dare turn off the mic. So long story short, I'm really pretty famous here at First Christian Church, kind of a big deal, winning. <laughs> four for four just this morning. So to summarize, in case you're unaware and you haven't yet recognized what I implicitly know and what I intuitively understand to the fiber of my bones because I experience the world as I've described for you this morning, every single day, many times per day, just as you do. This is my world, and y'all are just living in it. <laughs> kind of intrusively, I might add. <clears throat> A whole lot of us experience the world in those kinds of ways, intuitively, without thinking about it, in ways that continue to firm up this lie we easily believe that the world is under my control and I am super important. In fact, are we preaching yet? It gets to the point where, quite frankly, the way other people's interact in my world kind of annoys me. Kind of annoys me. And when I'm driving and you think you're a part of the road too, I think, get out of my way. This is my world. <laughs> and I go around feeling, as we often do, that you owe me an apology for getting in my lane. Stay in your lane. And it gets even worse. There are layers to this we don't realize that are happening in our lives every day, thousands of times per day, which means that I end up with this place that feels like the world owes me, not just for you getting in my lane, but for every slight I've ever experienced. And it owes me for this hole in my heart that is constantly crying out to be filled with meaning and purpose. That's what ends up happening. Now, let's settle back into normalcy here. <laughs> Here's the crazy part. Here's the crazy part. What I've just described only sounds like hyperbole. It only sounds like hyperbole because likely for many of you, as I'm telling you about how I'm four for four in the morning, it feels like the truth of your own experience from day to day where you are in control of thousands of decisions 
that snow you into the deception that this world is about you. So, so what happens is we get in these own, our own little worlds that we control for most of the day where we are super important and really quite famous. And every one of us is a hero on the inside. And when that happens to us unwittingly, the world tempts us. It tempts us toward that deception about the center of the universe being us many times a day. We are marketed to, we are catered to, we are told we can have it our way right away. We walk into stores where there is a paralyzing array of dozens of options for one single type of consumer good, let alone the other many thousands that exist in that same store. In a world like that, where every one of us is constantly sort of tempted to believe the lie that we are the center of the universe, it is literally a miracle that things aren't miserably worse than they already are. The world around you, friends, it's bent on discipling you into the illusion that you are meant to be bowed down to and worshipped. And truth be told, it's doing a pretty good job. It's doing a pretty good job. And in case you think this is just sort of overwrought preacher talk, introduction, how many people do you know who have an absolute hissy fit if the tiniest little thing doesn't go their way? How often, how often do you find yourself sort of functionally, practically, internally, emotionally devastated when another human being doesn't do what you expect them to, when, when it's even something small like, take out the trash, for goodness sakes, I've asked you a thousand times. Clean up your room, for goodness sakes, all I do is clean it up for you, and I've asked you a thousand times. For crying out loud, people with whom I work, put the file back in the right place. <laughs> Follow the procedure I've told you about 27 times. So be real about this for yourself. Don't explain this away because I'm actually serious about this entire thing. How many times per day do you find yourself almost depressed at how someone else has let you down because they didn't text back in time? We easily catastrophize into this place where the smallest slights set us off course. If somebody doesn't text me in time, I know for myself, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. I can go from, well, maybe they're busy, to why don't they love me in about five seconds. <laughs> and that's because of this dynamic. It's because this dynamic in me where I believe the lie that that person on the other end exists to communicate with me because I asked them to. When the slights that we experience from day to day put us into an emotional tailspin on the inside and we catastrophize everything into a personal offense, what does that say about how we see the world? 
Let me ask that question again because it sums up a lot of what we're talking about in the first 10 minutes here. When slights that we experience from day to day to day put us inwardly into this emotional tailspin where we catastrophize everything into a personal offense against us, what does that say about how we view the world? Let me say it another way. When every little positive thing that we do isn't recognized with an award detailing our personal awesomeness, and that sort of internal letdown of that confirms in us the belief that no one loves us, something's wrong. Still think it's hyperbole? Truth is, We are passionately devoted to making this world about ourselves. The truth is, we are passionately devoted to turning and perverting and making this world about us. We are well-versed. We are well-versed in a narrative that personally filters the world through selfish eyes, telling the story of reality as if it exists to serve us. So friends, the default setting for the human being is selfishness. The default setting for us is radical selfishness. So into that world, (laughs) into that experience, into Christ who blows it all up (laughs) and he comes with a radically different and entirely upside down message that to us feels like death because we're used to filtering the world from self. It feels like death, but it's actually life. He says, deny yourself, take take up your cross and follow me. Lose your life in order to find it. That may feel like death, but it's actually life. Jump in with me at Matthew 6, starting with verse 21 where we see how Jesus introduces this concept for the first time to his disciples. And we'll look in the first verse here about why he does that. says this, we're going to spend some time on verse 21. says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He didn't just tell them, he showed them, showed his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now keep your thumb here in 21. And press pause while we give some needed context. This is the first of four times in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus predicts his own death. And this is an important place in Matthew's Gospel. This is a transition time in Matthew's Gospel, the beginning of the time where things turn toward the cross. So from this point on in Matthew, it's sort of like all roads lead to Jerusalem. And it makes sense here that this is the turn in Matthew toward Jerusalem and toward the cross because something very significant had just happened preceding this. In the immediately preceding context, something had just happened that prompted Jesus to start to tell them about going to the cross. So what happened just before is that uh, the 12 followers... Uh, the disciples, the original disciples of Jesus, Peter had just proclaimed Jesus as Lord for the first time. One of the original 12 named Peter had just made the first public profession and confession of Jesus as Messiah and naming him as the son of God. And that was a big deal. Think about this. Jesus had come to earth (laughs) to show the world of all the crazy ideas that he himself was the perfect son of God sent from the father above and someone finally 
got it. (laughs) Someone finally got that. It was the first public acknowledgement that Jesus was the Messiah. The first correct declaration that Jesus was the Son of God. So this is a big deal. And in response to that, in response to Peter's declaration of Jesus as Lord, Jesus immediately begins to prepare the disciples to understand what confessing Jesus as Lord was going to entail for them. He begins to give them greater insight. He says, from that time on, Matthew tells us, Jesus began to show his disciples that he, meaning Jesus, must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, and on the third day, raised. So you know when you're trying to explain something to someone or show them something, and they're not quite getting it, and it's a little too complex, so you go back to the step before and you tell them something simpler first, right? Like, I can't show you quantum physics until you understand algebra. There is actually quite a distance between those, not for me, but for someone who knows what that means. I can't show you quantum physics until you understand algebra. So Peter's declaration of Jesus as Lord was sort of, you know, algebra. (laughs) Okay, or maybe, maybe it was addition and subtraction. It was way back at the beginning. So since Peter had gotten the basics, Jesus is like, yes, you understand. Now listen up. Listen up, because it's about to become far more complex. We're going to start to talk about quantum physics here. And he says, listen up. Yes, I'm, yes, I'm the Son of God. Yes, I'm the Messiah. You need to know two things about that. Number one, they're going to kill me. <laughs> and number two, you need to be ready to die. They're going to kill me, and you need to be ready to die. In fact, listen up. Here's a little secret. I want you to choose that death with me. At which point, Peter and the disciples are like, wait a second. <laughs> Please take us back to algebra. I mean, we're following you. We've left our families. We've left our jobs. We've left our security. We've left everything. And now you're telling us that you're going to Jerusalem to die and that you want us to choose that death as well. Quite literally, Jesus knows that for them to say yes to following Jesus was going to mean something divisive that would end up in them having to say yes to death. So he's preparing them for that. Pick it up in verse 22. This is how Peter responds to Jesus saying, get ready for some quantum physics. He says this, Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. That's Matthew's comment on it saying, far be it from you, Lord. This is Peter speaking to Jesus after Jesus says, it's going to get harder. He says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, Peter thinks He's defending Jesus here. Matthew tells us that he rebuked Jesus. Rebuke is a strong word implying outright rejection of what Jesus has suggested here. Peter's saying, no way, Jesus. No way. No. (laughs) Isn't that just like us when the turn starts toward suffering and hardship? And death to self? No way, Jesus. Not on my watch. It's not going to happen to you. Here's a word, follower of Jesus. This so-called protection is actually an outright refusal of the truth of suffering in a broken and sinful world. Beware of those who try to protect you from the discomfort of following Jesus closely. 
Be wary of those who try to protect you from the discomfort that comes from following Jesus closely. Because that kind of so-called wisdom and comfort is not from the Spirit of God. I'll prove it in a moment. When those around you begin to get uncomfortable slightly because your love for Jesus means that you become willing to personally sacrifice, you're beginning to understand. When those around you might be slightly uncomfortable because your love for Jesus means that you become willing to personally sacrifice, you are beginning to understand the assurance that comes from following Jesus all the way to the cross. So when your friends are trying to talk you out of following Jesus as closely as you know, you should. You know they're not speaking the wisdom of God, but the foolishness of man. Jesus says so himself. Look at verse 23. He turned and said to Peter, after Peter freaks out and said, no, 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 no. He says, get behind me, Satan. Instantly, Jesus recognizes the source of Peter's so-called wisdom and protection. He says, get behind me, Satan. The last time he used that phrase, the last time he said that in Matthew, was in the desert when Satan tempted him to turn away from the Father's will. Apparently, this situation here with Peter reminded him of that. Because Peter's rebuke was actually a temptation for Jesus to turn away from the Father's will. So again, beware of those protecting you from the discomfort that comes from following Jesus too closely. Keep reading verse 23. You are a hindrance to me, he says to Peter. You're keeping me from following the Father's will. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And we oppose the plans of God. Even if said with what feels like kindness and sounds like wisdom, we have become a tool for the adversary. Now, Jesus isn't saying that Peter was demon-possessed. He's just saying Peter wasn't really in it to win it for Jesus, but for himself. You see, Jesus wasn't trying to comfort... I'm sorry, Peter wasn't trying to comfort Jesus so much as he was trying to actually protect himself. He was beginning to understand that Jesus was calling him to something that was going to be uncomfortable and hard for him. What Matthew is trying to get us to see here in the text is that when Jesus began suggesting that following him involves pain and hardship and suffering and death to self... For them, their literal death, the disciples didn't exactly love the idea. (laughs) Which, of course, makes sense to us. We resonate with that. I mean, when the realization occurs to us that life isn't a constant supply of Oreos and milk without weight gain, which is kind of how I envision what I want life to be, when that realization occurs to us that life is filled with pain, uh, Here's what happens. We become experts in self-satisfaction. We become experts in self-satisfaction. And we go around twisting everything and everybody around us into means to pacify our pain and hurt. 
even sanctifying in our own minds the idea that that was how God intends to free us. As if our road is supposed to be different than Jesus's. But listen, friends, turning the world into some big ego trip for us set on avoiding the reality of living in a world of pain and brokenness is to have your mind set on human things. And so Jesus just says, listen, I'm going toward hardship and pain. I'm going toward the cross for your sake, disciples. In order for you to come after me and to keep this mission going, you're going to need some holy defiance like I am demonstrating to go to the cross. Because if I didn't do this, you wouldn't have life. If I don't die, you don't have salvation. If I don't keep this holy defiance that keeps me on mission, then you don't know salvation and eternity with God. So I'm calling you to the same thing I'm doing, which is a radical selflessness. Welcome to church. Radical selflessness. Look at verse 24. This is where Jesus encapsulates this whole concept of going to the cross It's marked by radical selflessness. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now listen, friends, for the the genuine, for the follower of Jesus, even 2,000 years after, uh, there is this sort of kinship of following Jesus closely that feels like taking up his cross, that is also assurance that you're going the right way. Two thousand years after he walked this road, for the believer in Christ who's following his way, there's this sort of kinship of following Jesus closely that happens when we take up the cross that feels like death, but it's actually life. And it's an assurance for us and even a comfort. Unless you think that I'm just talking doom and gloom and weirdness and negativity, this kinship of the cross will sustain you. It will keep you focused on who you're called to be. It will become its own comfort when this world tempts you to get off course and when suffering comes and when the pain doesn't stop and when you are pressed from all sides. Because in those moments, you can say to yourself, I'm doing what Jesus has called me to. I'm going to the cross, even though it hurts. I know I have hope because I have forever relationship with him. I pity the pretend Christian who claims Jesus but doesn't pick up the cross because that person is going to go through suffering and pain and pressure on their own. So Jesus is serious about this. He says, whoever would save his life, verse 25, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I want you to look at this quote that comes from the ESV Study Bible. It's a great comment on this verse. I'm going to put it on screen for you here and leave it up. Read it twice so you see it. It's that good. The person who rejects God's will and instead pursues his own will for his life ultimately loses eternally every earthly good he is trying to protect. Y'all should tweet that. That's good stuff. The person who rejects God's will and instead pursues his own will for his life ultimately loses eternally every earthly good 
is trying to protect. So what good is it in the here and now to save your life by pursuing selfish goals and worldly gain? That's what Jesus says here. Like, how's that working for you? That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 26. Look at it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What good's that? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Ultimately, whatever we gain by making the world about us, whatever we gain in that sense, in the here and now, will end up being a waste if it means eternal separation from God. And that's the risk. Jesus is saying, this isn't just hyperbole. (laughs) He says that's the risk in giving in to the temptation to continue to make the world about you. Tragically, many trade here and now, pretend fame, pretend importance, quasi-meaning, for the forever gain of the riches of heaven and of eternity with Jesus. So friends, for us to defy self, I understand it sounds radical. It goes against everything that we feel like we need to be secure in the here and now. But this is what Jesus is calling his followers to in this passage. Radical selflessness. Listen again to verse 24. If anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So in that context, when Jesus says these words, to take up one's cross was a literal physical act. Uh, It meant marching in public through the crowds on the way to one's own execution while carrying the heavy horizontal beam of one's own death instrument. Christ says, take that up, this instrument of your own death. Here's why he says that. The cross is something you choose. You don't just drift into Christ-like selflessness. You don't just automatically become giving and sacrificial. It's not something someone else chooses for you. It's intentional. It's a practice. It's a discipline. It's a day-by-day practice of telling your heart and mind, this really actually is, (laughs) it's all actually about a forever God who loves me, who gave up those riches to die on the cross for me. See, Jesus chose the cross for us. He chose the cross for you. That required from him a holy defiance against all the other missions of self that tempted him. And he is calling us, as it turns out, if we're on that road, he's calling us to that same exact mission. So I just want to ask this question as we end. Ask yourself, For whom am I dying so they might live? This is what sacrificial Christians who understand what taking up the cross means. There are tons of ways that we die to self that are marked by little sacrificial ways that we give that look like Jesus. Jesus.
And you choose that. It's a discipline. It's a practice. And you don't drift into it. You don't meander into Christ-like selflessness. You choose it. And if you want to know some of the road to get to that, ask yourself the question. Ask yourself the quantum physics question. You're still back at algebra or add and subtract. The quantum physics question is, for whom am I dying so they might live? That's the ultimate example of what selflessness looks like that was marked by Jesus' selflessness on the cross for you and me. And then figure out what the road to that looks like in ways that look sacrificially, like Jesus giving sacrificially for us. And then you will know the kinship of taking up the cross that is actually an assurance Let's pray, friends. Lord, these are hard words for us. Because they go against the lies we've believed about how we achieve freedom and what peace looks like and how we can experience contentment. Lord, give us the courage and the strength. Give us the clarity of purpose. Give us the focus of mission um, so that we would continue to live in ways that reflect your selflessness to us so that we would further experience your love for us Your love for us that though you didn't deserve it, chose to be a perfect sacrifice so that we could be righteous. So that your son Jesus, who was a perfect lamb for us, that his perfect and sinless life would be the sacrifice for us. Lord, that, that radical act of selflessness whereby you placed on your own Son the wrath we deserved. Lord, define our lives by that amazing truth so that you would work in us, so that marriages would be restored, so that broken families can be healed, uh, so that relationships that have been marked by uh, selfishness and discord and strife would be marked by the unity of Christ at the center. By a new mission of making known your goodness and glory. Lord, show us what that means. Give us strength and courage to say yes to um, the hard road you have for us. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit to say yes to your direction in our lives. In your son's name we pray, amen.